due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Hello. Welcome back. We're here. It's I for an eye. Did I tell you guys that my coworker came up to me and she's so sweet and I don't work with her all that often. She came up to me and she said, my husband loves your show. So shout out to Carrie's husband. I don't know your name, but thank you for being a listener. That's pretty cool. If my pop culture references are correct, I believe his name was Mr. Big. Mr. Big died. Yeah. You'll like that one. Come on. That was a reference to a show I probably shouldn't have watched. Sex in the City? Yes, Sex in the City. He, Mr. Big is dead, though, in the new ones. He died on a Peloton, didn't he? Peloton. It was a huge PR thing for them. Wait, what? Not the guy in real life. Chris Noth is still alive. Yeah, no, he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, we are back. We're back. Obviously, are ready to attack, but we are redoing an episode because we love to do that here at I for an Eye. Sometimes our audio just sucks ass. We've really been working on it. Our favorite thing to do is redo things we've already done. That's literally the story of my life. I feel like we've done that. We really do care about our audio, and even though it's still not perfect, we don't want it to sound like absolute ass cheeks like our first season. In the immortal words of Miley Cyrus, nobody's perfect. I got to work it again and again till I get it right. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're up to today. But the difference with this one is I didn't release it prematurely. We didn't release it at all. No one has heard this case from us. So, Jules, let us know what we're talking about. And listeners, before we get into it, pause the show, rate, review, subscribe. We've got good shit coming down the line. A lot of special guests still on the horizon. A lot of interesting cases that I think are little known, more famous cases. we got a lot of shit coming your way. All right. Take it away, Joels. Yep. So today we're going to talk about a case that I definitely had some knowledge about, and our listeners will understand why in a moment, but I don't think this is as widely known as some of the other cases we've covered. But it is very interesting. And as we've mentioned, we did record this previously. However, the audio was not suitable for public consumption. So we're back at it. Most of the script I've left intact, but I did add a couple questions and a couple things I wanted to highlight. So I'm excited for our discussion today. Without further ado, we are going to talk about the murder of Betsy Ardsma in the Penn State Stacks. Basically, the Stacks is an area of the library. Betsy, who is formerly Elizabeth Ruth Ardsmo, was born in Holland, Michigan on July 11, 1947. Betsy and her three siblings were raised in a middle-class, religious, and conservative household. She graduated with an undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan in 1969, and Betsy then went on to begin her graduate studies at Penn State in the fall of 1969, and that is where our story begins. Matt and I well, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, Matt. I knew about this case. I didn't know a lot of the details until I dug into it. I knew about it. I knew when we were up there, that's always one of those floating rumors on campus. It's like, you know, somebody got murdered in the stacks. I was just going to say, is it like lore? It's a good way to describe it. Penn State lore. You know, you don't want to be in the stacks past 2 a.m. You know, somebody got murdered here, right? Betsy lived with her roommate, Sharon Brandt, in Atherton Hall, which is one of the on-campus dorm buildings at Penn State. Sharon would later say that Betsy wasn't very social and didn't really engage in extracurricular activities, which, to be honest, isn't that uncommon for graduate students. When you're there at that level in your education, you're not really messing around as much as you would be in your undergrad. Betsy spent any of her free time either studying or traveling to Penn State Hershey to visit her boyfriend, David Wright. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but Penn State has many branch campuses. Betsy was at the main campus, University Park, and her boyfriend, as I mentioned, was at Penn State Hershey. She would often be there to visit him. David was reportedly Betsy's first serious boyfriend. He was a med student studying at Penn State Hershey, which is part of the reason that Betsy ended up choosing to study at Penn State. By Thanksgiving, Betsy was showing signs of stress, and she had fallen behind on an English assignment. Obviously. The three of us being college graduates know that's a busy time of year. It's no surprise, really, that Betsy was showing signs of stress. 
especially when she's pursuing graduate studies. So she decided to take the opportunity and return early from Thanksgiving break so she could catch up on her work. She had plans to meet with a professor to discuss this late English assignment. In the afternoon of November 28, 1969, Betsy and Sharon left their dorm room and walked to Penn State's Petit Library. The girls part ways and had plans to meet up later and go to the movie theater. So Penn State's campus is huge, first of all. And it's very feasible that you could be at the library with someone else and never cross paths with them. Uh, Seeing that Betsy and Sharon were both at the library, they parted their ways. That's not very uncommon. It's a huge place, so they could very easily be in different areas depending on what they needed. At approximately 4 p.m., Betsy spoke with one of her professors and mentioned to him that she needed to go into the stacks. The stacks, as I referenced earlier, are part of the library that's just creepy. There's really no other way to describe it. It is so weird in there, man. It feels like you're in a submarine. It's small, it's tight, it's really compact. Lighting is off. Why do people need to go there? People like to study in there. I never like to study in there. Yeah, I personally never really enjoyed studying at the library, but I guess this was more of a time where you were actually using reference items at the library. True. So if you just had to go there because of the material you needed, they did have desks and areas set up to either work or study. But as named, the this area had stacks and stacks of books. As Matt mentioned, it's floor to ceiling. The aisles are very narrow. The lighting is just off. With the hindsight of the crime that we are discussing, we as students knew it was a creepy place, but I think even without that knowledge, it just has a creepy vibe to it. Tell me if I'm wrong. It would be the perfect place to film a horror movie. Oh, definitely. You know, you're like cutting in and out of different aisles and different places where you could get lost. It's definitely strange. And one of the things to mention is the wall that faces the street is full windows. So you can actually see in and see the different aisles. When you're in it, as we said, I don't know that it's precisely floor to ceiling, but it felt that way. So when you were in one aisle, you couldn't really tell what was happening next to you, yet alone two aisles down. So is this connected to the main library or is it a separate building? It's part of the library, yeah. If you walk into the library, you can go right to to the stacks or you can go left to go to a common area and there are four floors. So you can kind of be either in the more contemporary or if you're one of those people who likes to, you know, I need quiet, I need tight space. Who likes to study with ghosts? Yeah, pretty much if you like to get potentially murdered while you're in the stacks, yeah, that's the way to go. Dude, people definitely got laid back there, 100%. I knew somebody who did. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that because that plays into one of the theories surrounding this murder. But as Matt mentioned, the area of the stacks is like four or five floors. Other parts of the library are only one floor. It's a huge monstrosity of a building. You could definitely get lost in there. As I said, you can definitely be in there with somewhere else and never cross paths with them. It's really not an area I chose to frequent very often. But again, I'm going to point out that four o'clock timeline. That's when Betsy met with her professor. And shortly after she saw her professor, she ran into two of her friends, Linda, Marsa, and Robert Steinberg. She had a quick conversation with them and then actually got settled in her spot in the library. Betsy placed her purse, jacket, and a book at a desk, then used the card catalog, which I don't think I ever did. She like pulled out the drawers. It wasn't electronic. She used the card catalog to find the book she needed and walked down a flight of stairs into level two core stacks at approximately 4.30 p.m. We have two more potential sightings of Betsy. First by library supervisor, Dean Brungart. Shortly after 4.30, Dean said he saw a girl in a red dress standing alone in an aisle. Obviously, that's not very specific. I want to know why was she wearing a red dress? I feel like at that time, kids didn't show up in sweatpants and sweatshirts to class. Yeah, like if you wore grease. Yeah, but think about it. This took place in the 60s, right? The late 60s. Late 60s. So people were wearing bell bottoms. People were wearing jeans. Well, don't forget, Betsy did grow up in a disconservative household. So that might be just like 
I don't know. I can wear a dress. So did I, but I didn't wear anything crazy at Penn State. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you're not a girl in the 1960s. Thanks, Lise. I know that. Just making sure, Matt. I project myself there sometimes, but no, that's not me in real life. I'm aware. My therapist told me. Thank you. You're working through it. So there is this supposed sighting at 4.30 from the library supervisor. The other potential sighting was two young men who were talking quietly amongst themselves in a nearby aisle closer to the west end of the library floor. About 10 minutes later, Richard Allen, who was just a fellow library patron, he was probably, you know, minding his own business, he overheard a conversation between a male and a female in the general direction of where Betsy was. So this doesn't have an exact time stamp, but let's call it like 440 mid-afternoon or late afternoon, whatever you want to call it. Four o'clock is when Betsy met with her professor. 4.30 was when she actually got settled in her area of the stacks. And so this conversation that Richard Allen overheard was about 10 minutes after that. So Richard could not hear the conversation verbatim as he was using the photocopier, which again is a sign of the times. But he informed the police that nothing sounded off during the conversation. He just heard Betsy or a female voice interacting with a male voice. Moments later, Alan heard a metallic crashing noise before a young man whom he described as, quote, looking like a student, ran barreling past him. Let me recap that for a moment. Richard's at the photocopier. He's hearing this conversation. Then very shortly after, he hears a metallic crashing noise. And then this man, who just looks like your average student, runs past him at the photocopier. Because of these witness reports we have from Dean, the library manager who thinks he saw Betsy standing in the aisle, and this report from Richard, the police were able to approximate that at some point between 445 and 455 was when this crime was committed. Betsy was stabbed a single time through the left breast with a, quote, hunting-style knife while standing between rows 50 and 51 in the dimly lit stack area of the Petit Library. So that is one of the creepiest parts, in my opinion, is the lighting in the sacks was never fully lit. It was always slightly dim and just kind of unsettling. I guess maybe fully lit like fluorescent overheads would be unsettling as well. Did they not change like the design of this place after this happened? I don't think it's been changed since they built it, that part at least. Wow. So it's really that freaking creepy. It looks like a type of building, the construction, the layout, even the design of the shelving looks like something straight out of the 60s. I believe it. I mean, it had never been updated since then. Have you guys seen the movie It, like the new one? I have, but it's been a while. Does it look like the library in that one where Pennywise, like the balloon pops in the library and it's like real weird and starts talking weird? Oh my God. Yes. I know the scene, but I can't pull up the image in my mind. But I would say yes, right. I don't think it ever has been updated. It's just unsettling, even without this knowledge. That That's the thing, Jules. This place didn't need a murder to happen for people to be like, it's fucking creepy in there. It's weird in there. That didn't have to be added for effect. It just makes it even worse. Yeah. So the knife wound severed Betsy's pulmonary artery and pierced the right ventricle of her heart. I was scrolling through TikTok earlier and actually searched Betsy Artsma to see if anybody had any interesting takes that we could insert. And it was all kind of the same thing. But what somebody did point out, and we talked about this, the red dress. And with the stab wound, it almost blended in with the color of her dress, which is interesting. This is unsolved, so we can talk about the theories. I have a quick question to clarify. Did that guy that heard the scream and watched the guy run away, is he the one who found Betsy or is he the one who called the police? We haven't gotten there yet. Okay, sorry. I thought I had a lapse of memory and confused myself. Can I interject real quickly too? I don't know if anybody might've seen anything about this or if anybody ever talked about it in this case. One stab wound to the pulmonary artery, that's a pretty damn good straight shot. I mean, you know where the heart is, but 
you put one wound and it killed her, that means you knew what you were doing. They talk about crimes of passion. We rarely talk about crimes of efficiency, where one stab wound, boom, in and out, and I'm gone. I mean, that's how you avoid being covered in blood. That's how you avoid being seen. That's how you avoid all that. They almost did it like efficiently, which is even creepier in my mind. Yeah, definitely. And this case is unsolved to this day. And that's definitely an element to think about. And the knife, it was a hunting style knife. In my mind, all of those things, the precision, the type of weapon, all prove some sort of premeditation. I don't know. Unless maybe, and we can talk about this later, but unless this mystery person knew they were going to hurt someone, and Betsy just happened to be the chosen victim. Okay, so with the witness reports from the library dude, Dean, and Richard Allen, we were able to narrow down between 445 and 455 as the time of this stabbing. And following the stabbing, Betsy fell to the ground close to the end of the aisle of the stack. And in her fall, pulled several books off of the nearby shelf as she fell, and then she fell onto her back. Two other students reported a man running from the direction of the commotion. So we have Robert Allen saying he saw someone run past. Now we have two separate students reporting that they saw a man run past from the direction of all of this commotion. The man was concealing his right hand and said, that girl needs help as he's like running past. The man in question was described as being dressed in khaki slacks, a tie, and a sports jacket. Again, a sign of the times. He had well-kept brown hair and was approximately six feet in height, about 185 pounds, and may have been wearing glasses. One of the student witnesses attempted to chase the man, but was outpaced. The man was last seen running in the direction of the recreation hall. Seemingly, he came out of the library onto Curtin Road, which is one of the ways you can enter the library, and then ran towards Rec Hall, which would be to his left. Police made several appeals for the man to come forward, and to this day, they have not identified him. Paramedics and bystanders attempted to give medical assistance to Betsy, but unfortunately, she was pronounced dead by a physician at 5.19 p.m. So, sorry, Lisa, to go back to your question, I guess it's not specifically stated who ended up calling or getting help, but there was at least three people nearby. It sounds like they heard a crash and a couple people probably ran over to see what happened. Because if someone was able to chase the guy that was leaving... They were able to put two and two together pretty quickly to be able to follow him out or try to at least. Right. I think I have this in my notes for later on. But seeing as this was still technically Thanksgiving break, on one hand, it's very lucky that people were around Betsy, even though they weren't able to give her any medical help. But, you know, class wasn't back in session. So it's lucky in that hand that people were there to try to give assistance. But then on the other hand, if people were back, if school was in full session, the library would have been even more crowded and that can come with its own pros and cons. But we'll talk about that. Penn State Police assigned approximately 35 troopers to investigate Betsy's murder, which seems like a ton. I don't know the protocol. Hundreds of students were interviewed in the weeks following her death. Campus was unsuccessfully searched for the murder weapon, and a $25,000 reward was offered for information leading to the arrest of Betsy's killer. Two composite drawings were made and distributed to the media. This is the fact that I was kind of pointing out there. On a typical Friday, at the time of the murder, up to 400 people would typically enter or exit the Petit Library. That's during class normal session. On November 28th, because there was still Thanksgiving break. There was only about 90 people who had entered or exited the whole library. I mean, 90 is still a lot, but given the fact that the library is such a big place. Is that part that's not the stacks, is that part new or the library has been unchanged completely? My knowledge is that they haven't added any additions or anything. So if there were updates, it was more like an internal thing. And there was not any construction ever on the library in my time as a student. It's hard to say whether the increase in people would be helpful or could have hurt the case in a way. Less people being there means there was less witnesses. But on the other hand, if there were more people, 
there could be witnesses and then it's like seven people telling you a different story could have muddied the waters but then if there were more people maybe somebody else who was a little bit faster could have run after the guy and actually caught him it's hard to say there are definitely pros and cons but just another note i wanted to mention first people thought that betsy had simply fainted um and that she was not actually murdered kind of like the people on the outskirts um and the library staff actually sent the janitorial staff up to clean the scene they cleaned the floors they picked up the books that had fallen so any physical evidence that was potentially left behind at the scene was destroyed or compromised. I don't understand that at all. What was the thought process behind that? I feel like because there was just not as many people, the communication was off. So they might have heard, oh, this girl fell earlier and didn't realize that, no, she fell because she was stabbed. The janitor was like, job security, and just hustled. Right. And so because it was maybe only the one stab wound maybe there wasn't as much i don't know i don't know exactly what happened but wires were not crossed properly and any physical evidence was cleaned up they were however able to recover a few drops of betsy's blood or at least her blood type they can't say that it was hers but it was the same type of blood as betsy's so was either hers or the killer had the same type and they found this blood which is interesting in the staircase leading into level three of the stacks indicating this is my take on it that the murderer left the library killing betsy on level two and then ran up my thought is the blood that they found was on the murder weapon and as he's running kind of splashes off i know that's very graphic because it's going up a level which is weird you would think if you're fleeing the scene of a crime you're going to go down and you're going to get out maybe his thought was to try and divert attention he knows people are going to think he's leaving so he's going to go up a level and maybe find another staircase i don't know there's nothing concrete off of that i just thought it was interesting and wanted to share there were several factors that indicated to the police that betsy likely knew her murderer crime scene analysis indicates that betsy was approached from the front by her assailant and the rows of the stacks are too narrow for one individual to pass unless one of you turns sideways. As we mentioned, the rows are narrow, the aisles. It's not enough for two people to walk shoulder to shoulder through the aisle. If Betsy was there and somebody approached her, she would have had to turn to let them pass. But Betsy made no attempt to scream or flee. Mean that doesn't necessarily add up to say that Betsy knew who this was that was approaching her. To me, it more means that she wasn't immediately startled by them. You know, they didn't like turn the aisle with a knife because then she would have some sort of reaction. My take on it means that she wasn't threatened by the person that she saw. As she was not expected to be back at Penn State that day, the police were able to rule out the possibility that Betsy was being stopped. Because like we said, this was still technically Thanksgiving break. And Betsy's decision to come back wasn't planned. It was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. Betsy's boyfriend was quickly ruled out by the police. And despite the best efforts of the Pennsylvania Police Department and the university president at the time, Eric Walker, and he did conduct his own private investigation on the matter. But despite all these efforts, Betsy's case grew cold. I'm going to plug this because I would love for us to help this case be solved. But anyone with information about Betsy Artsma's murder is asked to call the Pennsylvania State Police at 717-783-5599. This case, as we've said, is unsolved. And I do have some theories I want to discuss with you. But this was something I added as I was going back and refreshing my brain on the case. And I wanted to share it before we jumped into the theories. From 2010 to 2013, so that's three years, obviously very well removed from Betsy's case. In those three years, 36 students died while enrolled at Penn State's University Park campus. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Penn State has many undergraduate locations, 20 to be exact. That number 36 is from one location. On one campus, 36 students died in a matter of three years. Those deaths include alcohol-related deaths, other medical conditions, you know, if somebody had a pre-existing condition and 
suicide, other things. Those aren't all malicious murders or anything like that. But to me, that just felt like a startlingly high number. Do either of you have thoughts on that before we jump into some theories here? I think that is very strange. Right? Let me real quick look Google another university and see. Where I went to school is supposed to be haunted, but I don't know if the statistics of deaths on campus are that many. I mean, again, Penn State's a very big school. I want to know how many of those incidents are related to hazing, too. I know there have been a lot of deaths from different things, but I feel like Penn State has an inordinate number of hazing deaths that have happened in just the last two decades to the point where it's almost like maybe just shut these idiots down. But yeah, I mean, that is an abnormally high number. I didn't want to open the can of worms because there are many cases we could talk about where I don't want to say foul play, but where a death should have never occurred. I just, I don't know, I'm startled by that number. And I'm, I googled Ohio University and they wouldn't even give me the number of deaths. Whereas with Penn State, I googled and very quickly found a number. I'm going to look at another bigger school. But I just feel like that's a very, a very high number. As Matt said, there are a number of deaths in that, I'm sure, in that 36 that are related to hazing incidents, which are very unfortunate. And we can decide if we want to do another episode about that. But I'm now looking at Ohio State University, which is another Big Ten school, another big school. And I'm still not finding very easily a student death toll. I don't know. There's no relevance at all. But I just got curious for a moment and Googled it and found in three years, that's an average of 12 deaths per year. I was just kind of startled by that. I don't know. It's definitely strange. It's creepy when you think about it. Right. It, it definitely is. We have some theories. Some of them are outlandish and some of them are a little more realistic. So I'm going to jump into those. One of those unrealistic theories that I mentioned was that Ted Bundy was actually Betsy's killer. And the reason why this came to be is that Ted Bundy was found to be at Temple University around the same time of Betsy's murder. And for those of you who don't know, Temple University is in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is about four-ish hours from Penn State. The theory was later disproved. I think people just kind of liked the hype of pinning something on Ted Bundy. But law enforcement did not see any sort of correlation between Betsy stabbing and T Bundy's other murders. So it was easily shot down. I think people, like I said, just kind of like to play into it. So that to me, it was definitely the most unrealistic of the theories I found. Another one that I think is borderline unrealistic, you guys can let me know your thoughts. But I thought of this when Matt had mentioned that you could very easily have sex in the stacks. And one of the theories states that Betsy may have stumbled upon a homosexual encounter. Remember that one of the witnesses mentioned two men nearby where Betsy was. So it's said that Betsy may have recognized one or both of the men and had been murdered to prevent her sharing this information with other people. And we have to keep in mind we're talking late 60s where homosexuality was not as accepted i mean it's there's still a lot of work we have to do as a culture but we're better than we were at that point in time another kind of fact that leads to this is that nearby at one of the desks investigators found a small stack of heterosexual and homosexual pornographic magazines additionally more than two dozen pornographic magazines were found between books in the aisle where betsy had been murdered traces of semen this is really gross Traces of semen were discovered in multiple locations on the floor, shelves, and walls, with one investigator later commenting that traces of semen were found practically everywhere. So this was maybe a meetup spot for whether people were straight or gay, and the theory is that Betsy stumbled upon this, and out of fear for her sharing this information, one of the men stabbed her. Again, I think this one tends to be not as realistic, but there are some interesting pieces that kind of contribute to that. Do either of you have thoughts on that theory? Two. First of all, I think it's a shame that even back then that somebody could lose their life 
over witnessing something like that. Whereas now you've got, oh, yeah, my bad, yo. For anybody, it's a shame that she had to die if that is the case. And two, that reminds me of Superbad, where he's like, when I became a policeman, Lisa rolls her eyes at me. Rolls is about to. But he, Seth Rogen's like, when I became a policeman, I thought there was a semen database that you could just identify criminals from. I thought there was semen on everything. <laughs> like That's like what this crime scene was. Like, who knows what was going on in here two hours before this happened. Yeah, and I know nothing about like the quote-unquote shelf life of semen. Like, can they say that that was recent? Can that be from many, many years ago? I don't know, and I don't want to know. As I said, this is not one of the theories I would put all my eggs in the basket for, but... I'm just sharing. I'm not purporting this theory. That almost sounds like conjecture that somebody made up to make it seem like, yeah, it was two gay guys who did it. Yeah. Lisa, anything to add? Are you kind of on board? I mean, I think kind of the same as you guys. It's probably not what happened, but I don't think it's like completely outside the realm of possibilities. You know what I mean? To me, it's the other little details, which could be very much unrelated, like the porn found all over the place, the semen all over the place. Like that could just be a meetup spot that people often have sex and it has nothing to do with Betsy. So yeah, well, it sounds like Matt is saying that, yes, that is a fact. I'm going to discuss another popular and more realistic theory. This is this is the basket I'm going to put my eggs in. So there were two notable men here, and they both have their own books, and I want to read them. I wish between the time we originally recorded this and now that I would have, but, you know, I got other shit going on in my life. This theory came to be by two people, as I said, an author, Derek Sherwood, and an investigative journalist, David DeCamp. And their theory is that Richard Hefner, who was a student at the time, killed Betsy. And I'm a reader, number one. And number two, I think the fact that an investigative journalist was in on this is, like, awesome. So I'm going to read the titles of both of those books. As I said, I've never read them, but I would love to, maybe in all my free time coming up. (laughs) So Derek Sherwood, who is an author by trade, wrote, Who Killed Betsy? Uncovering Penn State University's Most Notorious Unsolved Crimes. David DeCock, who is an investigative journalist, wrote Murder in the Sacks, Penn State, Betsy Ardma, and the Killer Who Got Away. These two gentlemen came up with this theory of Richard Hefner. And Hefner was known to take extreme measures to obtain platonic relationships with women to conceal his homosexuality. I don't want to say anything about Richard. We don't know him. But that is what is concocted in this theory that he really pushed female friendship to cover up his own sexuality. Hefner lived across the courtyard from Betsy and Sharon in Atherton Hall. He was widely known for engaging in erratic behavior, including periods of explosive anger, the suspected theft of several. I'm sorry to laugh. You'll understand why I'm laughing. He was also expected to have stolen several specimens from the university's rock and mineral collection, which is just a funny thing to go down for. You know, he was out stealing rocks and minerals. Another thing, and there are pictures in our Google Doc. I feel like we'll have to post a couple pictures with this episode. But this is where I think we're starting to get to something. Richard was known to often dress in khakis, a sports coat. And he kept his brown hair very short and tidy. Betsy ended the friendship that she had with Richard very shortly before her death. Sharon, Betsy's roommate, suggested to the police that they should talk to him, to Richard Hefner. I think she was kind of the one that pointed them in his direction. And then all these things started coming to the surface. Sharon stated that he had visited their apartment on more than one occasion in the weeks prior to Betsy's death. Hefner was questioned by the police in December of 1969. He admitted to having become acquainted with Betsy in late October and said that he did occasionally socialize with her. Hefner stated that he was eating dinner at the Hub, which is the student union building, at the time of Betsy's murder. That's his alibi. He was eating dinner. The hub and the library are not that far apart. He could have maybe picked a different location, but whatever. Hefner claimed to have never set foot in the library 
as literature related to geology was stored in a different building. He's really, you know, anti-library. He doesn't need to go there. He wasn't there at the time. He was eating dinner. What I have in our Google Doc, which we will share the photo of, is the composite sketch that was drawn by the police and then a photo of Richard Hefner. And I would say, minus the glasses, these two are strikingly similar. The hair is a little bit fuller in the sketch versus the picture, but I don't know how close to the time of the murder that the picture was taken. Either way, there are a lot of similarities between the two. Jumping ahead many years, in August of 1975, two young boys accused Hefner of pedophilia. He was separately from that, accused of molesting two other young boys in his neighborhood. He was never charged as the jury was hung. I don't know around the details of that. Richard Hefner died in 2002. So we will never know his involvement. He's telling us the story, and that's what we have to go off of. In 2009, a nephew of Richard Hefner contacted Derek Sherwood to discuss how he had overheard a conversation between Hefner and his mother. And this piece, it's chilling. This is from the nephew of Richard Hefner. He overheard a conversation with Hefner and his mother, so it would be the nephew's grandmother. And Richard's mother was scolding her son and stated, quote, you killed that girl and now you're killing me. End scene. What? Yeah, so I have some questions. But before we get there, do you guys have any lingering thoughts that you want to share? Well, first of all, the description matching like glasses as somebody who wears glasses, that's so easy to fake. You could be wearing a beard and glasses and, you know, take it off. And granted, I don't know how accurate sketching was then and is now, but still, if he's identified and he's got some tendencies of, like we said, you know, he, he's covering things up, he's leading a double life. That makes me wonder, you know, what else is he hiding? And then the icing on the cake is that his own mom implicated him. I'm like, dude, if my mom ever even said something like that, I'd be ashamed. I'd be like, Jesus. Right. And so number one, legal term for that would be hearsay. We don't know from the mother. That is correct. And what we also don't know is that by that girl, she meant Betsy. But to me, one plus one is equaling two here. I think the fact that Betsy ended their friendship shortly before she was murdered is indicative, especially of somebody who displayed these erratic behaviors kind of seemed like they would have explosive anger outbursts and then would be a quote-unquote normal, friendly person. So any other thoughts on Richard Hefner? Then I have some questions. One is a complete tangent, and two is more just related to our overall thoughts of Betsy. So, Lise, do you have anything you want to add about Richard? I mean, I think it speaks volumes that Betsy's friend was like, look at this guy. Why aren't we looking at him? All these things. I will say, though, about his mom saying that, my mom would be the first one to throw me under the bus for a crime. My dad would be the one to bail me out. My mom would be like, she did it. Take her away. Your mom probably would, dude. I think my mom would, too. I feel like my mom would be like, you did the crime. You do the time, dumbass. Be like, yeah, my mom is big on it's her fault. Put her away. But I do find it interesting that that is what she said. And, it, and she said it in a way where it seemed like she was being pretty sincere, like, you kid this girl, now look at what you're doing to me. And and also the fact that her friend knew him well enough to say, you should look into this guy. You know, yeah, not like a random friend in passing, knew him well enough to be like, no, they had not a relationship. And something was a little off. Have you talked to this dude yet? Right. And I don't even know that they knew him on the personal level or if they just knew of his erratic behavior. And erratic behavior, I'll tell you what, one step to the heart, I mean, that makes sense. Like if, if she did something and it set him off, him to just react. Right. And he's not saying he wasn't on campus. He's not saying he wasn't back from Thanksgiving break. Why hasn't he been charged? Or has he been looked into, did you say? So the police talked to him and I guess they bought his weak alibi, in my opinion. What was his alibi? He said he was at the hub eating dinner at that time. 
Of course he was. Can anybody account for him is what I wonder? The hub's a big building. Don't get me wrong. Well, right, and it's not that far from the library. What's the lab? It's the student union building. As it stands, when Matt and I were in school, there was a Panda Express. There was a couple of different restaurants. There was also some offices. I think our sorority office was in there. Basically, it was another gathering place for students. All right, he was eating there. I just don't know, and I keep looking at the sketch. Well, wasn't Betsy's friend also in the library? Maybe she legitimately saw this kid. She's like, I saw him in the library. Now my friend's dead. He was being a person. It does seem kind of random that she just picked a name. Like, yeah, you looked at Dick Hafner, and they were like, who the hell is that? Not like he was seen there. Not like they knew each other real well, like, but knew each other, like, or knew, he knew of him well enough to be like, did you talk to this guy yet? Because he's pretty weird. Yeah. Right. And the fact that we have an author and an investigative journalist who are both saying this is their theory of how things work out. He was known to take extreme measures to obtain friendships. What does that even mean? I don't know. I just I'm unsettled. Obviously, we will probably never know, but... Isn't that wild that someone out? I mean, I we talk about this all the damn time, but I'm sure this happens more often than not. There's so many people out there who've probably done some crazy shit that are walking amongst us and and know that. Yep. I mean, for better or for worse, Richard has passed away. We've kind of covered two of my questions in, in theory. Number one was our thoughts about Richard, and we've kind of aired those out. Number two is what you think actually happened to Betsy. Do either of you have another alternate theory or are you kind of putting your eggs in the Richard basket as well I don't know the answer to that question I mean I wouldn't be surprised if it was Richard but I'm also like I don't know I wonder how they didn't talk to his mom or interview his mom and say hey what do you know I thought it was interesting and I don't know if I just completely took it the wrong way when you said it but I think what he said was interesting and I'm wondering if that had a double meeting when he left and said that girl needs some help or some serious help or whatever he said I wonder if he meant that in like, oh, she's crazy. She needs help. Or, oh, I just stabbed her in the heart. She needs help. I'm very curious. I mean, I guess it really wouldn't change the outcome, but. No, but I see what you're saying. It could mean either of those things. Because if he was saying it like, she's crazy, man. She needs help. Maybe she did like rebuff something he did. And he was saying like, she's a crazy person. Bye. But I don't, I mean, I guess that's not what happens. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to sidebar that because I feel like. As women, we try very hard to be polite. And this seemed like it was platonic, but even when people are trying to approach from a romantic, like, oh, the guy at the bar that keeps trying to buy me a drink, it's like, no, thanks. If he keeps asking me, eventually I might say yes, or eventually I might just snap. So maybe, like you're saying, Richard came up to her in the library. She's like, geez Louise, you talked about this time and time again. I don't want to be your friend. You make me uncomfortable, whatever. Obviously, I'm improvising. And that set him off i don't know we'll never know and that's what's so upsetting about these kinds of cases but i do think with the theories and information we have this is the most likely case most likely story most likely perpetrator of this crime which is just unfortunate because you think about betsy and her family and we just want justice and i don't think there will be so the heck kind of closes one chapter, and I will say here that we're about to go on a small tangent, but it is semi-relevant, but it is also not. So if you have had enough of our shenanigans for the day, thanks for joining us. Rate, review, subscribe. But if you want to stay around. Let's get tangential. Let's get real tangential on this. Well, we are, but I just want people to be aware of. I, I think it was Bigfoot, but let's get real tangential here. Hit it. It's semi-related. We discussed the stacks as a creepy place, number one. Number two, there are rumors that Betsy's ghost still haunts the library to this day. So my question, and Matt, you kind of talked about this the other day, but what are your thoughts on paranormal existence in general? It's a very broad question. Like, is Betsy's ghost hanging around there because she's pissed that nobody solved the crime? Is she shaking her heads and being like, it's right in front of you? What do you two think about paranormal activity? She helped me cheat on a test one time, actually. I can summarize it in one simple word. Yes. I am a firm believer in paranormal activity. I'm a firm believer that if you're open to it, anything can happen. We were talking about it at dinner the other night, Jules. Now everybody looks at me like I'm crazy when I talk about some of the shit. But I'm a firm believer that if you are 
in acknowledgement of the fact that there is a paranormal force that exists in this world that we can't see, that we can understand, but can't relate to, it's almost like you allow yourself to know more. At least that's been my experience. I've talked to a number of people, friends of mine, at least we talked about my man, shout out to Pat Cooksey, shout out to my man, Pat, who one night I had a bit of a freak out because I was opening myself up a little bit too much to these existential forces that exist in the world. And he kind of talked me through it and was like, dude, part of what you're doing is exposing yourself more by talking about it, by being enveloped in it and letting it take over your So I totally believe that that's you. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I mean, I've heard multiple people say that they saw some weird shit happen in the stacks when I was there. And I bet you if I called my cousins who are up there right now and were like, yo, do you know about this murder in the stacks? 100% they know about it. Probably had somebody who they knew who talked about it. Might even have had an experience like what I had. Betsy didn't help me cheat on a test. Other people did. But definitely saw some weird things go on while I was up there. So I'm a firm believer in it. Yeah. Lise, what do you think? I don't 100% know what I think. I do believe there's stuff that's unexplained that happened. I like to try to operate under the Occam's razor theory. The simplest explanation is likely the explanation, like the right explanation. But I do think there are some things that are unexplained. And I do like to try to believe that like we have spirit and there's different levels of stuff. And when you die, it's just your physical body dying and not this and that. I don't know if like as we stand, there's ghosts lingering around the room. I always think about this is crazy. And Matt is going to hate that I say this, but I always think about it this way. And it freaks me out, so I don't like it. But what about like when you're going the dirty? I don't want my grandma's ghost in the room with me like hanging out. Why is it we get to pick and choose when they come visit us or, you know, when it's convenient? Or are they always around and we just don't acknowledge it because it would be awkward? That ghost is totally watching you. Dude, I had a crazy, not to get too deep in, but I had a crazy experience one time where I literally almost had a heart attack while having sex because this girl had a cat, right? This cat jumps up on the bed and licked right below my ass, like the back of my leg, like just jumped up. And you know what a cat's tongue feels like, right? You want to talk about an absolutely heart-wrenching experience. I almost fell off the bed. You didn't realize it was the cat and you thought it was something else or you knew it was. I don't know what the fuck it was. He said, a demon licked my asshole. This is her grandma seeing what I'm doing and is like, fuck this guy. He's a piece of shit. I don't want him here. Your mind went right to grandma? Maybe it was her grandma. I don't know. My mind went to like demon. Maybe it was the demon. It could have been them too. I don't know. I hadn't talked to them that day. Might have been. I heard this somewhere, and for the life of me, I can't remember, but it was somebody talking about the occurrence of these paranormal things is more likely to happen when there are less distractions. Yeah. Interesting. And so I think usually when you're having sex, your mind isn't wandering. You're kind of like in the moment. But it makes me think when you are sitting reading a book, nothing going on, and you catch a glimmer out of the corner of your eye. You know, because of the time in this culture, we're always doing a million things. So maybe we don't have enough capacity to take on anything else. You know what I mean? Well, that's really an interesting theory, Jules. That, that is a good point, honestly. Yeah, because when you're in the moment, you're not thinking about like, what was that shadow that just ran across the wall? Like, or who my butthole? Was it grandma? It wasn't my asshole, Lise, but it was my leg just below my ass to the point where it was like, what the fuck was that? And it was a cat. Did you say that out loud? Yeah, I said that out loud. I was like, what the fuck? Can I name this episode a cat licked Matt's asshole? It'd be a little bit of a denial, but yeah, sure. Go ahead. Jules, what do you believe? I don't know. I don't think that ghosts or spirits, whatever you want to call them, are always a bad thing, right? And people, I think, lean into this depending on what makes them feel better. Comfort. Right, for comfort. The people talk about seeing cardinals and how that is a sign. Yeah, I do believe in stuff like that, like sign. Right, and like that. And I think people find comfort in things like that, which is why we're more open to the positive side. Versus the side of like Betsy being angry and, you know, lurking about in the library. But I do believe you have to be open, which is why they say like kids and animals 
are so susceptible to paranormal activity because they don't know to know better. As we get older, we're like, oh, you know, ghosts aren't real. So we like shut that part of our brain. You'll find out soon if your house is for real haunted. I am. What did I miss on New Year's? Everybody got laid but me. Is that what this was? I was already pregnant at New Year's, so no. Oh, yeah, I guess it wouldn't have been New Year's. It was just some other time I missed it. And whatever. One of the other 365 days I didn't have sex. My God. All right. So we had our little ghosty talk. But yeah, I think there are good sides and bad sides of paranormal activity. You guys ever heard of 10 years being referred to as 120 months? I just had to do math. That's some bullshit. It was a headline on the news. It said, guy sentenced to 120 months. And I'm here like, that's 10 years. I guess it's always longer. Yeah, but just say 10 years. It's the same deal, right? Yeah, but does 10 years sound better than 120 months? Am I the defendant or am I the sentencing? Yes, like if, if it's the defendant, he's probably like, nice. And then you're like, no, nah, dog, it's 10 years. Like, oh, fuck. No, I would think 120 months sounds a lot of time, a long time. I don't want to serve either of those amounts of time in prison. No, I'm cool off that. None for me. It's a no dog. Anyway, now we're completely in La La Land. Yeah, we've gone, we've gone off on one tangent onto another, but this was a really interesting case. It's a blind eye, really. I mean, like, we're talking about it from the perspective of, like, it's a case. There was no trial. We don't know what happened. It's a mystifying one. That almost makes it even creepier that we don't know what happened. Some girl just got stabbed one time in what I think was a brutal but efficient murder. I don't think that was intention. I don't know. I think this guy might have just gotten lucky. I don't know, Lise. I mean, maybe. Do we even know he was intending on killing her? You know what I mean? Like, maybe he just, like, lashed out and just, like, went for it and she ended up dying. Right, like, I'm going to hurt you, but I'm not going to kill you. I don't know how we survived college is really what I ask myself every single day. I don't know. It does freak me out to think that, like, that could happen to anybody, you know, anybody. We were talking about these people in Mexico, right? You stumble onto the wrong thing. You see the wrong thing. Something gets fucked up here. All of a sudden, you're kidnapped. You're dead. Right. All Betsy was trying to do was like be a good student and catch up on her work. And yeah. Betsy, just go to the bar. Okay. Next time, just go to the bar. You'll get a C. C's get degrees. There's Matt's knowledge for the night. Sorry, <laughs> right, y'all. Fun. It's been real. Let us know what everybody thinks. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Hit that Patreon link and tell us what's good, y'all. Yeah, what do you think happened to Betsy? Let us know. Yeah, honestly, if you're an active Penn State student, give us a shout. Invite me to a party, dude. If you go to Penn State, we have the numbers and the floor of the stacks. Go and post up and tell us if you find Betsy's ghost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That ass. If you see anything, we want to know about it, fam. There you go. Is it haunted? Is Betsy upset that you are not passing your class? Is there anyone out there? Because it's getting harder and harder to breathe. And on that note, bye.